Hey, hello, 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 hello. Welcome to the Intentional Wellbeing Podcast. I am your host, Diane Bondi, and I thought I would just jump on here with my well-being rant. And uh, today, what has gotten under my skin is the very probable overturning of Roe v. Wade and what it means to me here in Canada and what it means to other folks around the world that Roe v. Wade is not a U.S. problem only, right? It is a international problem because here's the thing, where the U.S. goes, the rest of the world follows. And that kind of scares me to death because Roe v. Wade happened in 1973 uh, when I was uh, three years old. And I am not a particularly religious person. Um, I am a spiritual person, and I know that's going to come as a surprise. I believe in a higher power. I believe in supreme consciousness. I believe we're all connected. Do I believe in one supreme being? I don't think so. And I certainly do not think that supreme being is a man standing on a hill with a staff and flowing hair. Uh, In the image that we've seen Jesus portrayed as a person with light skin or white skin, I grew up on a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, and I found it really hard to love myself as a black person when apparently man was created in the image of God and all the pictures that I saw of people who were godlike were white. And then all the troubles and tribulations and feelings of inferiority and meanness in the real world outside the four walls of the church were coming at me from white folks. I grew up in Burlington, Ontario, Canada in the 70s and 80s. I moved out to Windsor in 1990. And it was at that time, uh, it was mostly considered a suburb of Hamilton, not very close to a suburb of Toronto, but since the early 2000s, Burlington has become part of the GTA, according to Wikipedia. Uh, I never felt comfortable in my own skin from a pretty early age. I think the first time I realized I was a little black girl was when I was about four when somebody called me a nigger. And uh, then I went to school. I was the only black kid in my school until my brother and sister showed up um, probably in 1980, I would think. I went to kindergarten in 1975, and then my brother and sister would have showed up Um, probably in 1978 or 1979. And we were like the three only black kids from kindergarten because there wasn't uh, JK then and SK. It was just kindergarten. Everybody went when they were five, uh, all the way up to the sixth grade. And then we had uh, kids bust in from other schools who had schools that only went up to the sixth grade. And then they came to our school, which went up to the eighth grade. Um, And I didn't have a lot of exposure to black folks. Uh, We were the only black people in our neighborhood. I was the only black people anywhere. And we were subject to ridicule, uh, subject to gossip, um, subject to discrimination from our neighbors, from people who pretended to be our friends. I cannot tell you the amount of torment and torture I endured on the playground and in my neighborhood uh, with people who really believed in white supremacy and that they could treat the only black people in their town a certain way, whether it was gossiping about us or lying about us 
or their kids picking on us or kids not being friends with us, you name it, all of that stuff. So I felt really uncomfortable in my own skin. I say all this to say, when you go to, to, to church and you sit in church and you go to Sunday school and everything that you've ever been presented is white, God is white, angels are white, Jesus is white. And that you're taught that God is made in the image of man and that God is a gender, a man that is running this entire humanity, this entire planet, this entire solar system. And then you step out of the walls of the church and you begin to see how white people treat you as subhuman, not everybody, but a lot of people. Um, and how you're treated very, very differently from white folks, you begin to make this connection that you are not in the image of God. And that white folks are superior because they are in the image of God. It's, we don't understand that religion is one of the most segregated um, practices in the world. And that uh, if you were raised in the uh, United Church, as I was, which is supposed to be one of the more um, for lack of a better word, tolerant churches. Um, yeah. You still get this feeling like you don't belong and that God is not on your side, especially when somebody is beating you up and you're praying to God to save you from this moment and nothing is happening. And then, of course, the ultimate wisdom from whoever's around you is to tell you that God put you in this position so that you could test your strength and yada, 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 and blah, blah, blah. I can't believe in a God who would let people who look like me and people with brown skin and people who aren't white suffer for hundreds of years. Like I just, how does that work? And what did we do as a people to be treated poorly for hundreds of years and to have to continue to fight? I say all that to say this, I don't understand the religious aspect of Roe v. Wade. I don't believe that the Bible, anywhere in the Bible that it says that abortion is not right. And if you can find it, please put it in the comments below. Please reach out to me and show me the particular passage that says you shouldn't be doing this, okay? And I don't really care to hear from or to follow the word of the Bible, which I don't necessarily think is reflective of everybody's experience of life. I think it's reflective of a specific time. I think it's reflective of a, a, a specific set of circumstances and people during that time sharing about what they um, learned or loved or lessons that they learned, but I don't necessarily believe in all that. Uh, I do believe in a higher power. I do believe in something supreme. I do believe in that energy. I just don't happen to see it as a Santa Claus figure. Like I said, standing on a hill with a wind blowing in the hair and a staff, doling out punishments and rewards like Santa Claus. And I know this is going to make my mother very unhappy with me to say things like this, but it happens to be the truth, right? And I'm on my rant for today. I'm very nervous. And here's why I want to talk about Roe v. Wade. I've talked about it before. Um, one point that I didn't share with you is back in 1994, I got pregnant. Oops, it was one of those slip ups. Oops, I didn't actually mean to. Oops, I was graduating from the University of Windsor. I was dating a guy and I stubbed my toe. And it was a very scary situation. Uh, I was 
still in school and unemployed, barely able to take care of myself, let alone myself and my cat at the time, let alone anybody else. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And I thought that I would I would get an abortion, right? So when I found out I was pregnant, uh, it was terrible. Uh, I was I went and had a pregnancy test at the pharmacy. I remember I was tired. I was feeling nauseous. I was working part-time as a student teaching fitness classes. And I just thought I was overtired. I was taking lots of naps and my roommate was constantly saying, you're tired a lot. Are you sure everything's okay? Maybe you should go to the doctor. Maybe you're low in vitamin B12. And her and I, after living together, which I have since found out is a myth, would have her period around the same time. And uh, so I kept asking her if she had her period. I had a little bit of spotting. So I thought, okay, I'm getting my period. And it turned out I wasn't going to get my period, that I was actually pregnant. And I went into the pharmacist. Uh, they were taking it. They were like, are you sure? Like I, I went into the doctor, I should say, to let them know I wasn't uh, feeling good. And then I decided uh, to have a pregnancy test. The doctor said to me, could it be possible that you're pregnant? I'm like, no, not at all. I'm very careful. We're very safe. Um, I absolutely not. Um, just so you know, another myth that you can put in your back pocket, you can get pregnant if you're having sex on your period. Because that's the only way I can possibly think that this even happened. Uh, so he, I remember sitting in the waiting room while we were waiting for the pregnancy test to come back and, uh, the nurse walked by and gave me a big smile as she walked by. And I was like, why is she smiling at me? So we go back into the office and the doctor says to me, you're pregnant. And I'm like, no way. And they were, he was like, yes. And I was like, my heart sank. I felt sick to my stomach. I started crying. I almost got into a car accident going home and uh, my boyfriend at the time was away at school in a whole different city in a whole different part of the province. And I called him immediately to tell him what was happening. And he just was silent. He didn't know what to do. And it was midweek. It was a Wednesday when I found out. And he said, I'm coming home on the Saturday and we'll talk about it. What are we, we're going to talk about what we're going to do. And so he told me not to worry about it. He told me to stop crying. It was going to be fine. And that he would see me on the weekend. Right. And then apparently he went out drinking because um, he didn't know what to do. Neither of us knew what to do. Uh, so this was Wednesday. By Friday, the spotting that I had had a couple of days prior became more intense and I actually started bleeding. So I went back to the free clinic or to the clinic and I saw a doctor and she said, your service is still closed. Um, but I don't think this pregnancy is viable. You are miscarrying. And the sense of relief that I had that somebody else had made a decision that was going to be so hard for me to make was a relief. So she said to me, go home and lie down and just be still and calm. So she said, can you get a ride home to your place? And I said, I can't, you know, I didn't have enough money for um, a cab. And it was just, too long to take the bus. It was actually faster just to walk home. So I ended up to walking home, which intensified the bleeding. I went and I laid down. And when I woke up uh, after a nap and I pulled back the sheets, it literally looked like somebody had cut my leg off. So I had to be rushed to emergency because I was bleeding. And when I went into emergency, the nurse um, or the doctor had said to me, your cervix is open. You're actually 
miscarrying. And this was, this all happened in a couple of days. From the time I found out I was pregnant until I had a full miscarriage was about three days. And I remember the emergency room doctor saying to me, it's a relief when somebody else makes a decision for you. Because she had asked me if I was disappointed. And I said, no, I'm a student. I barely have any money um, to feed myself and my cat, let alone, you know, to bring another life into the world. I'm not quite done school. This was not supposed to happen. Um, I'm not even sure that I would want to spend the rest of the life with the person I was dating with dating at the time. So this was divine intervention. And uh, Monday, I went back to the, they woke me up with an OBGYN. I had to have a DNC to make sure everything was clear. And then when I was in the doctor's office, um, they had said to me, okay, are, are we trying again? What's happening? And I said, nope. Um, this was a accident. This was something I didn't intend to happen. And the doctor said to me, it's always nice when somebody else makes the decision for you. And uh, that's a, a pervasive theme that came up for me. As a Canadian, I had access to abortion. And at the time, uh, Dr. Morgenthaler, who was constantly being harassed as having an abortion clinic, always on the news, always protesters, always being in court, never being charged, but always being in court. Um, and then they decriminalized abortion. So by the time that I was going to need one, it was completely decriminalized. I had to wait a certain amount of time before I could have an abortion um, when I called to find out all the steps because I wanted when I sat down with my boyfriend that I had all the information about what we wanted to do and what we needed to do. The second time that I had a conversation about abortion uh, was when I got married and got pregnant because I wanted to with my son, Nathan. I was uh, a geriatric pregnancy. Um, I had my first son at 34, which according to my OBGYN was kind of my OBGYN and my lawyer who had something to say when we were redoing our wills. I've since got a new lawyer. Uh, that we were a little old to be doing this. And I was just like at 34. By that time, I had an established career. I, we had bought a house. I was really settled in my life and I was ready to have a baby. And I wanted a baby at that time more than anything in the whole world. I was just so ready to be a mom. And it was like the perfect time. You know, I'd been married for five years. Um, I had a secure job. Uh, my partner, was not the partner that I had gotten pregnant with initially, had a secure job, and we were ready to have a family. And the only time that abortion had come up a second time was if there was going to be something um, wrong with our baby, what were our options, because we were considered geriatric parents. And Alan and I, and I, I have to credit Alan with this, um, said that we could handle it, that whatever will be, will be and that we weren't going to terminate a pregnancy if there was something wrong. But that was something that the doctor wanted to know because at 21 weeks or 22 weeks at the time, you could have an amniocentesis and the chances for um, having an amniocentesis and a baby like, and that creating a spontaneous abortion was uh, enough of a factor that made me 
wonder if I should bother. So the doctor said to me, if you are not going to terminate a pregnancy, if you find out that there's something wrong with your baby, then there's no point in having the amniocentesis. So that removed the um, idea that the body could spontaneously abort a baby. And so what I was really grateful for is back in the early 90s, I had an opportunity to make a choice. Um, that would impact the rest of my life. I can't say that I would be necessarily sitting here in front of you or have had the life I would have had, had my options not been available to me and had divine intervention, the universe, whatever it was, make a decision for me or my body make a decision for me that this was not a viable pregnancy or something that uh, was going to be happening for me. And so, you know, I was relieved. I don't think about it very often if at all. And I know there's a lot of myths around women um, regretting uh, their decisions to take care of their health or not having a baby when they're not ready. Um, and that there's this idea that everybody who's ever had an abortion or who's maybe lost a baby uh, or a pregnancy, I should say, feel anybody who's ever lost a pregnancy feels um, some kind of way that there's a myriad of feelings that come up for folks, whether they decide to have a baby, whether they decide to terminate a pregnancy or whether your body, which has a 25% chance of terminating a pregnancy, if the body isn't able to sustain it for whatever reasons. And so I think it's so important that we don't sit in judgment of others. My continued rant on Roe v. Wade because I am so worried that for the first time in history, the Supreme Court has given a right and then will then take it away. Because that opens a precedence for them to take away all kinds of rights. And so I want you to remember in two years, or not even, I think it's June actually, now that I think about it, it's June for us here too in Ontario, we need to vote. We need to vote for folks who are going to look out for our rights and not legislate our bodies and not tell us what we can and can't do and base decisions on a supply need or base decisions on a book um, or base decisions on their personal feelings. That we need to give people an opportunity to live their own lives and especially those of us who want to force people to have babies that they're not ready for, are we going to be there to support folks when they're not ready to have this baby? Are we going to pay the medical bills? Are we going to pay to raise the child? Are we going to give people maternity or paternity leave or parental leave to have babies? Are we going to help them pay their hospital bills for having babies? Are we going to take, um, give them uh, parental leave, take time off work to raise these babies? None of this is happening. So if you are pro-life, why isn't we can create the conditions so people feel comfortable and ready to have a baby? Here in Canada, where I live, it's very, it's very lovely. Uh, you can take up to 18 months off. The first 12 months is a paid leave. So you have a year off with your baby, which I think is fantastic, especially if you're breastfeeding, because it takes longer than six weeks in my uh, situation anyway. I can only speak from my experience. I'm only speaking from my experience. It took me a solid four weeks to figure out breastfeeding. My kids were really good at it, but it, to wrap my head around it, to figure it out, to feel comfortable, to, to go out in public and do it and things like that. I can't imagine being ex expected to go back to work when I'm still breastfeeding 
an infant and a newborn at that. Your baby is newborn until they're till they're six weeks old. So your brain isn't functioning the same way. You're not getting the same amount of sleep and you're supposed to be at, be back at work and be productive after six weeks or even after three months for that matter. I mean, some people are ready to go back to work at three months. I wasn't ready to go back and I would have quit my job if I had to go back at six weeks or three months because I was still figuring everything out. I was still emotional. I was still tired. I was still feeling all kinds of ways. And so if we're really going to talk about pro-life, then shouldn't we care about universal health care if we're pro-life? Don't we want everybody to have access to getting well and being well and not have to worry about losing their jobs, their homes, their livelihood, their family members, if and when they should get ill? Shouldn't we once again care about um, being able to have a baby and pay for the actual birth process, let alone have time off to raise the child, have affordable housing, have access to food? These are all things that pro-life people should care about, not just the fetus <laughs> that cannot sustain life outside the mother's body by, by, by itself without medical intervention. Um, so which also costs money that somebody has to fit the bill for. And it is our bodies. Isn't it our choice to make the choices that are best for us? And if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, how will that impact the rest of the world? What will that look like for Canadians? Uh, we, are, we have a political system that does not resemble the United States. We have a parliamentary system, but political attitudes here can be swayed by the country, the biggest country population-wise in North America. Maybe there's more people in Mexico, I can't say for sure, but I know that there's in the area of 338 to 340 million people in America compared to like, what, 32, 33, 35 million people in Canada. So the influence of America is vast here. And we have to keep our head above water and realize that people's lives are at stake. And if the, if the, if the tide turns in America, how long before it reaches us? Right now, we have a liberal government which says that they are dedicated to keeping abortion safe um, and funded as part of health care for people. Um, but we also have a conservative government that is dying to have the top seat. And who knows in the next election, because a lot of folks are pretty unhappy with our current government. Who knows? Because Canada only flips back and forth between liberal and conservative. We get mad at the conservatives. We elect the liberals by an incredible majority. Then we get mad at the liberals and we'll maybe in this court have a minority government. And then we continue to be mad at the liberals and then we'll sway all the way back to the conservatives and that will go on back and forth. Other political parties will never see the light of day. I don't think I'll see the day when the NDP, our new democratic party could have um, could be the, the ruling, the ruling party could be the party in charge and what that would look like. I don't think Canadians are ready for that. I love, uh, the NDP leader, which is Jameet Singh. You might have seen him on Instagram or even on, um, TikTok. He has a very robust, 
um, platform and he's an incredible speaker. So he's working for universal dental care. He's made a, um, a, like a, has created a relationship with the liberal government right now because um, they're aligning their energies for Canadians. And so as long as those two parties are in power, have access to power, I feel that our rights to abortion will be okay. But if a conservative government comes into play, which is our right-leaning government, um, not as extreme as the GOP, because that seems to be the thing, they become more and more and more extreme. And I don't understand why people are not interested in changing that or want, want to continue to support that extremism. So it's really important for us to pay attention and get involved in our political process. And I am super tired of people going, oh, I hate politics. I don't want to be involved in politics. If you aren't involved in politics, your rights get eroded. If you're not paying attention to what's going on in the world and choosing to vote and choosing to speak up and choosing to take a stand, then you don't actually really care about humanity. You just care about yourself. Right? If you are not going to vote for your quintessential rights and you are going to not vote for the rights of others, for your neighbors, for the people you love in your life to have access to abortion care or health care or fair housing or, um, you know, working against food insecurity, whatever it may be, if you're not interested in participating in the political process, a process that people have died for you to be able to vote especially if you're black, especially if you're a woman, we've had to really fight for the right to cast a ballot, right? People have died trying to register voters in Mississippi. And that wasn't really that long ago. And you don't want to participate in the political system. Every single election that comes up, we hear, this is critical. This is critical. Never ever in a time in our lives has this election been more important. And that keeps happening cyclically, right? We keep saying that never in our time has it been more important to vote. And it keeps adding up like this. So what is that telling us? That we have to participate in the political process. If you don't believe in abortion, then don't have an abortion. But don't insert yourself in other people's lives because you certainly wouldn't want a person to insert themselves in your life, tell you what to do. You would be screaming, math freedoms, math freedoms, right? When somebody was imposing an impression on you, on you, you would be the first to be pushing back against that. So let people have their own personal freedoms. It doesn't impact you at all. How do you know what's happening to a person somewhere in another province or state who's in a difficult situation who needs abortion care? How does that impact you at home sitting in your kitchen watching whatever you're watching or doing whatever you're doing? It doesn't. It's a personal decision that has nothing to do with you. So as Canadians, as Americans, as North Americans, as citizens of the world, let's go look out for each other. Let's set aside our personal attachment or our religious attachment to something that is not our choice to make for someone else. I can honestly say I've never felt comfortable with religion because I've never seen myself reflected in it. I never thought the image of God was a person of color. 
it hasn't been my experience. It hasn't been my teaching. And in every church I walk into, when I see a picture of Christ, it certainly isn't a picture of a person of color. They may, Christ may have dark hair and may have dark eyes, but that's the extent of it. The skin is all, his skin is always white, right? So it's a hard connection for me to make with the bigger energy of religion that dictates to me a lot of things that I don't actually happen to believe in. And there's no one religion that covers all of humanity, right? People are entitled to believe what they want to believe. And if your religion brings you community and hope and faith and all those things, great. That's for you to have. And I fight for your right to believe in whatever it is you believe in. You get to have your religious freedom, but let other people have their freedom to do whatever they want as well. Okay. It's not about you. It's just not. <laughs> it's about all of us. So I want to thank you for listening to my second rant on Roe v. Wade. I want you to pay attention and get involved in the political process. What does that look like? Go and register to vote if you're in the United States. Canada, you're already registered to vote. Once you turn 18, you get that card in the mail. You bring a piece of ID with you. They check you off a paper. And you go and you make a decision on how you want to be represented, not only in your own country, your own community, but in the world. And that's an important thing. We are allowed to live our lives the way we want to live them as long as we are not interfering with other folks, right? As long as we are not spreading hate, nobody's going to call us out. And I feel very fortunate that I didn't have to make a decision in that moment when I wasn't prepared for anything. It was hard enough to get a positive pregnancy test and then even harder that anxious feeling of I can't do this I don't have the means I mean I drove around for a year without car insurance because I couldn't afford to pay for car insurance but I needed a car to drive can you imagine I was just lucky I was just lucky and I'm lucky I had an insurance agent at the time who could help me out. I was in no way. The amount I was already on the poverty line and having a baby would not have been something that I could handle. It would not have been something that I would have been happy to do. It would have been something that impacted my life in a way that I may never have been able to move away from. So that is my uh, abortion story. And I think it's important for all of us to share our stories and normalize talking about these things. And uh, as you know, I have a gift of the gab. So that is my well-being rant or my short little podcast. I want to thank you so much for being a part or listening into the Intentional Well-Being podcast. You can listen to this podcast anywhere that podcasts are broadcast. Can you do me a big favor though? If you're enjoying the podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate it. That would really, really help me out. And you can connect with me on my social media pages. I am most active on Instagram at Diane Bondi Official. Come, come chat to me. Come hit me up on Instagram. Come slide into my DMs. Is there anybody you want me to interview or are there any stories you want me to share with you? Do you like these little well-being rants? Do you like how I connect well-being to the bigger picture of politics, spirituality, yoga, all the things? Until next time, please take care of yourself. <laughs>